0: Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening podcast episode 56 and the first one post 2021 regular season Sam Lebowitz Jack Hendon here to bring you uh, an episode of a podcast about a baseball team that stinks the New York Mets 77 and 85 finished to their season as they lost two of three in Atlanta uh, disappointing end. To season. However, I think both Jack and I were a little bit checked out towards the end of the season. Um, and so, frankly, there's not a whole lot to say about the team. But Jack, how, how are you doing?
1: All right. I'm glad it's over. Uh, a merciful merciful, Yeah. Weird to know that it's really over. Uh, there was a point, I think, in that series in Milwaukee where it really did feel like we were going to be doing this for four more months. Um, so I'm happy that we have moved on to uh, the good baseball. I've been waiting for that for a while. Um, yes. Yes. Shame. We're not going to be a part of it. I think at the beginning of the year, Sam, you definitely know how I felt about uh, this team. I thought that we would absolutely be playing in October. Did not foresee uh, the injuries piling on the way that they did. Uh, the the hitters floundering the way that they did. Um, management having the issues that it did Uh, there's a lot that's going to need to change uh, as we move into the second year of, of this new ownership regime. There was a lot to a lot to strike from the record that unfortunately just cannot be struck Uh, really disappointing season. I mean, we're not going to do this the entire time, but obviously because it's finally over, there's, there's recourse for, you know, just looking now at, the product as a whole. And yeah, there are a lot of questions that will need to be answered, um, but I'm going to enjoy this next month uh, yeah. very fully because there's no off season right now. There's no free agency stuff. There's no trading to be done. Everybody is focused on the same thing and it's watching the 10 best teams in baseball fight it out. And honestly it was kind of nice that we even had yesterday too, where it was the 12 best teams in baseball. Cause that, uh that was shaping up to be a great day and i think for a while it was uh there was a lot of energy i don't know about you i was oh yeah really like i was watching all of them like,
0: i i had the quad box go and i i had them all up yeah um briefly touching upon your your point on the mets yeah absolutely i think both of us absolutely thought we had, had at least a 90 win team here in front of us 88 90 win team in front of us and a, a season marked by injury a season marked by drastic underperformance we'll get into that later Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to reassess our predictions from the beginning of the year later on and and see just how far we were off. Um, and folks, I'll tell you that for some of these, we were, we were pretty far off. Um, but we will talk some MLB races first. Uh, the Mets obviously not being part of the chaos that was game One Hundred and Sixty Two, And frankly, there, there was some chaos. It just, you know, we didn't get the chaotic, uh, Game 163 tiebreaker results that I think a lot of baseball fans, myself included, were really hoping for going into the season. Uh, the season's finale. There was a chance for a four-way tie in the American League wildcard race. If the Yankees lost, the Red Sox lost, the Blue Jays and Mariners won. However, we got only one of those four results, uh, which was the Blue Jays winning, and it didn't wound up even mattering for the Blue Jays.
1: Um, for a moment, it looked like it would. There yeah. was a there was a brief point in that game. I think the peak of that day was it was and it was all at the same time. It was like the bottom of the second in Seattle and they were down by two runs and they were scoring like it was four nothing. And they had made it four to two and she's yeah. the angel starter from the game. So that was like, all right, they're moving. The Blue Jays were beating the Orioles to a pulp. What else? or Springer
0: moving? hit a grand slam right around that time to make it yeah. a nine one game.
1: That one was the the uh, Cardinals Astros game. If you are familiar with twenty eleven and how that went, that was the sure conclusion. Like Blue Jays were winning their game, and the Red Sox were blowing it against the Nationals. They it were down five, five to one. Five to one. Alex Avila hit a five uh, to one. A double. Juan Adone making his major league debut was outperforming Chris Sale. He looked gross. Adone looked good. Yeah, In his
0: and his major league debut. A lot of pressure there. Yeah.
1: And then everybody reverted to uh, their selves, I guess, as we yeah. I, expected I mean, them at the beginning of the year. And it was I, just really anticlimactic.
0: It was pretty anticlimactic. Uh, even with a four-run lead, we, we were asking for nine outs from the Nationals bullpen, really. Um, or I guess it was five to two by the time we got to the seventh. But yeah. asking for nine outs from the Nationals bullpen uh, – to proved too much. Eric Fetty was pitching the seventh inning and he gave up uh three or four runs to to tie the game. Alex Verdugo hit a big uh clutch double. And at that point, at that point, once the the red the Red Sox had come back to tie, it was a foregone conclusion. They were not going to lose that game. Um with against the Nats bullpen, there was just no way they were going to lose. They were going to score again. Raphael Devers hit a piss missile over the center field fence, a 430-foot shot proved to be the nailing the coffin, the go-ahead homer. But that was after the Yankees and Rays had finished their game. The Yankees walking off the Rays one to nothing in a a really good baseball game. However, a baseball game, it seemed like neither team actually wanted to win very much. The Rays had put a pounding on the Yankees uh, on Saturday and had a really solid team victory on Friday. And I thought, you know, they're going to come out here guns blazing. They really dislike the Yankees. They want to sweep them. They want to really hurt their chances to make the playoffs. Um, and that's not what happened. The race had chances all day. They had, they were going against Jameson Tyon, who with an ERA in the mid fours, uh, throwing out Michael Walker, who pitched very, very well, actually, um, Yeah, the race had, the race had chances all day. They had runners in scoring position with less than two out, uh, I think three or four times over the course of that game. They had a leadoff double at one point, I think in the top of the ninth or was it maybe the top of the eighth, eighth uh, Yeah, stranded guy after guy, the Yankee bullpen did their job, uh, yeah after Tyone left after like three innings.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so props to the Yankees for really fighting hard and winning that game, but uh, not to say the Rays kind of laid down on them, but that was absolutely a winnable game for the Rays. They probably could have won yeah. that game three or four, nothing. Uh, and, and the Yankees wound up walking it off. And it, once the Yankees walked it off, it was like, all right, we need the Red Sox to lose to even allow the Blue Jays to have a tiebreaker game, even though the Blue Jays right. had won uh, and, and it just wasn't going to happen. So uh, instead of a four-way tiebreaker, we did not get any of the chaos. We have a, a kind of a, a normal plain Red Sox hosting the Yankees wildcard game on Tuesday, which is so weird for me to say that the least desirable outcome of the day was a the greatest rivalry in North American sports uh, in a one-game playoff, in a, yeah. a loser-goes-home playoff. That's the least desirable outcome. That's insane to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really good for the game that that's what we've come to, that we have so many outcomes that are just going to be like, I mean, just the fact that we don't get to watch the Blue Jays again, like it is entirely the Nationals' fault. It's entirely the Nationals' fault. The Nationals had to win this franchise. Pathetic.
0: (laughs) Pathetic. See, the Orioles, uh, I mean, the Blue Jays did their job. The Blue Jays did their job. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They put a, a, a pounding on the Orioles all weekend. But... The Nationals had to win one game. They had to take one game from the Red Sox to keep the Blue Jays' hopes alive for a game 163 or a tiebreaker or even to get them into the playoffs outright. And they couldn't even win a single game against the Red Sox. Like, baseball fans around the country, I think, will despise the Nationals for a while because of this. Because the Blue Jays, not just – I mean, obviously, there's the conversation about the Mariners being in it to game 162, and they were super fun down the stretch. Probably a fake team, given the run differential, all that stuff high leverage situations, it, it was not going to – you didn't expect it to last that long. But the Blue Jays, man, I do not know the next time we will get a collection of offensive players who performed at this high level on one team.
1: They're yeah, so – I they, mean, they, they're, they're all Nash. still there. They're, they're all well, going to be there. Not Semyon, man. He's a free agent. I guess not Semien, right. And I Semien still... had the be- perhaps the best offensive season by a second baseman in – Fifty years. Yeah, that's fair. I think that that core is still so exciting, and it's it like is. I okay. think that for one thing, it's not like Semyon's going to walk. They could very well like yeah, not necessarily. But they, here's they the could thing. pick him over oh, over Ray in free agency and yeah. keep all that together.
0: They probably should. But here's the thing. I mean, like obviously Vlad's there. Obviously Bo Bichette's there. You don't anticipate those guys getting any worse. In fact, maybe with Bo, he even had a slightly down year for what he can do. Yeah. But George Springer, you know, was off on, on the field half the time this year and, and was great when he was on the field, but he's getting older. Can you can trust his body to to keep up? Mm-hmm. Teoscar Hernandez is a good player, but do you expect 35 homers to 900 OPS out of him again? Oh, just no. saying. I'm just saying. I'm not – if Samian walks, there's a possibility that this team is not as high-octane offensively as they were this year, and they were a 91-win team like that with even with bad pitching more or less bad pitching i mean robbie ray turned it on it was excellent down the stretch obviously he's a pro might win the cy young but like ah i'm just heartbroken that this unit of blue jays the way that they were this year that we don't get to see them on baseball's biggest stage because i'm honestly more heartbroken about that than the mariners because at least with the blue jays i was like all right this is a good team the mariners is like very
1: much overperforming they were fun but they were overperforming see that's actually where I diverge in this like completely because I think that's what makes the Mariners situation more heartbreaking than the Blue Jays situation. Because as far as I'm concerned, um, I know that the AL East is just the best division in baseball. And it's been like that for the last like three or four years. Like I get that. Um, I still think the Blue Jays are really, really good. And I think that they're going to be in this position again for at least like two, three more years. Like this is a really good core. The Mariners, were a completely loosely assembled team that was pretty much defying like every expectation as far as how far they were going to go, how long it was going to last. I mean, when they traded Kendall Graveman, I think we all were under the impression that they were punting on the season and they actually got better after they did that. I mean, they're finishing with 89, um, 89 wins, no, 90 wins. Like, But the fact that they couldn't just push it over the top and break that drought that they've been on, too. I mean, it's been 20 years since they made the postseason. And also the other factor, too, is that this is now the third time since 2014 that they've put together a group of guys that for the most part was pretty composed pretty differently um, from the others and lost out in that last series of the year they did this in 2014 on the last day of the season missing the wild card by a game in 2016 they lost out on the wild card um in the second to last day of the season um and they were fielding guys like you know ben gamel and like tom williamson was their closer in 2014 like things like that i think um you you want that to eventually go right and you think it's gonna be yeah
0: Here's how I, here's where I differentiate with you on the Mariners is, is yes, they had, it was very much a ragtag group of guys who over, you know, overperformed this year. I mean, Paul Seawald's probably a legit reliever now. That's cool for him. Chris Flexen's probably a solid number two in this league now, or number two, number three in this league, but he was like their best starter. I mean, Marco Gonzalez well, didn't have that great of a year. Like, they, they, they figured out something magic wise. They were able to, they had so many comeback wins. I think they had 41 comeback victories this year, which is a lot of comeback victories. Like they played well. They were without their starting center fielder for a long time. You know, Kyle Lewis finished the year on the injured list. Jared Kellnick obviously was great in September, but uh, his final line looks really, really bad. Cause he started out just so dreadfully. He had, had like negative 1.7 war on the season, despite having like a 135 OPS plus during September. Uh, And he was, legitimately terrible as a center fielder defensively it was like negative seven or eight maybe even more defensive runs saved um here's where i differ though with you on the mariners i'm not as heartbroken about the mariners because i think they're gonna be back because they have this amazing farm system They have the best prospect in baseball in Julio Rodriguez. Kelnick's going to get better. We know that. We saw him show signs of life down the stretch. They have Logan Gilbert was pretty solid as a back-end guy for them this year. He's a top prospect. He's going to get even better, I imagine. On the starting pitching side, they have George Kirby, who's coming up soon. They have Emerson Hancock, who's disgusting. He was a top draft choice. They have other guys in this bullpen, or not in this bullpen. They have other guys in this system that are coming up. There's loads of talent here, and I'm, I'm missing names. I'm missing names. I touched on the, the a few of the big guys, but Rodriguez is right. not the only o- offensive prospect that's behind Kelnick. Yeah, like, you're hoping are-
1: that like Evan White and Taylor Trammell uh, get it going because those two are also good. I mean, that's well, fair. I mean,
0: Evan White's just never going to hit, but you hope so. I mean, Trammell had his moments this year, but he also didn't hit this year. I mean, there's, there's more guys coming up this system. It's a really, really good farm system. And there's a lot of talent that's close. And I feel like as long as if Rodriguez is up next year, which he very well might be, And hits and one of kirby or hancock comes up next year and pitches well and gilbert continues to get better and and, and establishes himself as a mid to high end rotation guy and their bullpen continues to be well because they have a a knack it feels like a finding bullpen guys uh if they could develop paul Sewald into a, a borderline elite reliever then who's to say they can't do that with other guys uh Eric Swanson, they did a similar thing with him when they traded for him from the Yankees. Like right.
1: Well, they they yeah, and they turned Austin Adams into like, you know, someone they could trade for a legit package. And they turned think, and they turned Kendall is,
0: Graveman and they turned Kendall Graveman into Blake Trinan.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, I don't disagree with any of that. I actually, you know, maybe I'm underrating or undervaluing how likely they are to be good again. I guess that's not so much my my statement in like it might it might take
0: an extra it might take an extra year it might not be next year but maybe the year after
1: well no i mean it's not even that it's that this specific group you're never gonna get it this weird ever again you're gonna have like once you start building the core you're gonna have a dynamic team and that in its own respect is awesome like that's great the what you know you look at what it did for the white Sox, you look at what it did for the astros all those years ago like build a core fantastic I also think it's to have had a team where like that bullpen is pitching against like the Astros or not the Astros I guess but like the Rays like to have that opportunity to see like Ty France, Luis Torrens, Abraham Toro, like something that eclectic in the postseason would have been really fun and the last thing I'll say about the Mariners And I think this was the most heartbreaking thing was that Kyle Seager doesn't get his opportunity to play in the postseason because that was really sad. And I think the Mariners handled that perfectly like Scott service pretty much as soon as the Red Sox won their game. And it was a done deal. He came out. He signaled to switch out the third baseman and Seager got his ovation. It reminded me a lot of, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure Met fans will be pissed about this, but to a, to a degree, it reminded me of David Wright walking off. It really did. And I think for Mariners fans, that's something that, you know, to have, to have somebody who had basically been like the, un, you know, unofficial leader of that team as long as he did and not get his moment despite contributing every year and to know that it's really over. Uh, I mean, and he was really affected too. And I think that also played a role and the players were clearly affected. Um. Yeah. That's...
0: J. P. Crawford in the post game. Uh, post game interview. J. P. Crawford was uh, almost in tears talking to the reporter. when yeah, I was about two. Seager. Calum was crying in the dugout over Seager too. Yeah. I mean, yes, I agree with you on the on the point that it it's he's almost there. David Wright. I mean, he's a, a tier below where David was as a as a player. Um, he was never the superstar MVP candidate. Right. But he was a really solid player. Uh, who had seasons as, you know, all-star level. Like, he, in a lot of respects, a, a similar kind of offensive resume, I think, uh, to Michael Conforto in that sure. uh, all-star level player when he's at his best. There were some down seasons in there, but he was a, a strong, consistent, left-hand hitting uh, performer in the middle of a Mariners team during some really bad years. And he had been there for a while. And you do really feel bad because he's the longest-tenured Mariner.
1: yeah. He's, he's their main character. That's what yeah, it is. He, That's- he's
0: a guy who clearly meant so much to the players on this team. I mean, just go, go watch that JP Crawford interview. Crawford was saying he, he doesn't think he'd be an established major league with the Mariners, if not for mm. Seager, kind of taking him under his wing. Um, and maybe it is his final game. I mean, he's not retiring. He's just hitting the free agent market. Maybe they bring him back on a one year or two year deal. Uh, but it is probably time to move on from, from Kyle Seager. And, yeah, I think he knows that. And I think the Mariners know that. So we'll see how it shakes out. But you're right. That is that is heartbreaking. That is really sad because um, he's been such an important piece for this franchise for a long time. I mean, the Mariners have had some great offensive players in their history and Seager's name is is right behind him in the record books, right behind the Griffey in, in, in the Ichiro and Jay Buners and, and uh, even A-Rod a little bit like Seager's up there. He's yeah. a he's a top six or seven offensive player in Mariners history, even though he's on the, the low end of that list. He's still up there. And there's yeah, credit, totally. credit deserved. I mean, this is a guy you're gonna look at in, in 10 years when his career's over, getting inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's yeah. how you know important he's been to this franchise. And you're right, it is a shame that uh, that he won't be there. So let's touch on on the postseason itself. Uh, we've got the wild card games coming up Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And then, uh, and then we'll we'll touch on predictions for the way this this is going to go. Jack, do you have any bold takes
1: before we get started? Um, I think the Astros White Sox ALDS matchup is bar none going to be the most exciting uh, uh, series of the four bracketed ones. I think that one is Dusty Baker and Tony Larusa managing against each other is a a tale as old as time. Um. Meanwhile, the White Sox are a super exciting young team anyway, like Tim Anderson's going to get to play on like a much more tangible postseason stage than he did last year, because I I really don't consider like the first round of the 2020 playoffs to be anything like if you won the series, sure, you know, that that means something. But the White Sox didn't. Um, so that's going to be I think that's going to be one to keep an eye out for. Uh as far as predictions like within the uh the games, right? I guess off the bat, I'll say Yankees beat the Red Sox in the wild card game for the AL. I think the Dodgers are gonna beat the Cardinals. I know the Cardinals have have been streaking and the Dodgers lost Muncie, but I just think it's like apples to oranges in terms of the quality of uh of the lineups that are out there. I think the quality of the pitchers that we'll be throwing, it's it's really not a contest. Um should I just should I just also go into the series too? I mean, I could probably uh, let's
0: let's take it round by round. Let's yeah, yeah. Who do you round. got? I think. Um first of all, I agree. White Sox Astros probably the most fun on paper ALDS that we have our division series that we have right now. I think so. Um, although if the Yankees advance past the wild card game, which I also think is gonna happen, and then Garrett Cole is gonna is gonna put up or shut up in this uh, wild card game at Fenway. Um Yankees raise has a chance to also be really fun as we saw last year in the division series, those teams dislike each other very strongly. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And we just saw a great series between those two teams this past weekend. So um, again, uh, it's going to be fun to see those two teams play Uh, with the White Sox. I think this is going to be the postseason of Luis Robert. He's Mm -hmm. been so good down the stretch for the White Sox. He hit like a 117 mile an hour Homer the other day. Dude, dude's going to put up some numbers this postseason, I think, um, which is part of the reason I have the, the White Sox fighting for the world for, uh, for the AL pennant. Uh, in the National League, I disagree with you. I think the baseball gods have a sense of humor. I think they also favor the Cardinals uh, in a lot of aspects. Cardinal devil magic tends to be a, a thing. I think we are setting ourselves up for the greatest wild card team ever to go home after one game. I think the Dodgers lose. I think really, uh, I could obviously I could be wrong. They're a very good baseball team, but who knows what happens in one game? They Max Muncie's not going to play. That feels like already we're favoring the Cardinals already because he had a great year.
1: But man, I just there's a sense of humor here. You win 106 games and you go home after one loss. Well, it's Wayne, Ray, Molina, right. I mean, they've been doing this since they were kids against the Mets. It's like, yeah. it's, it's basically what they do. I would just hate that so much. I just, I mean, I know oh, the Dodgers a, won the world series last year, but from like a fairness standpoint,
0: it would suck.
1: Yeah. Uh, from, it, a, from, a, us, from a, from a getting us
0: from a us getting deprived of a potential five game set between a team that won 107 games and 106 games, the winner that obviously the wild card is going to play the giants that you know, to be deprived of that would be a shame from a baseball standpoint. Uh, because that could be fun. Although honestly, I'd rather see that matchup in a seven game series. Um yeah. but man, it just it really feels like we're being set up here for a Dodgers wildcard loss because yeah. it, it's the funniest outcome. You win 106 happens, games and you look you go home to a 90-win team.
1: The the I guess the silver lining from that, the argument people would make is that it's worth it today. If the Dodgers lose and the Cardinals win, if it means tomorrow in the new collective bargaining agreement that wild card format is revised, like if that's what it takes,
0: I'm not sure it needs to be revised. I like the wild card format. I like the. I mean, they're obviously from a fairness standpoint. You win 106 games, you should not be, you know, playing a one game playoff.
1: It's basically a tiebreaker.
0: Yeah, but like. on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, you did get bested in your own division, and that's how it's set up. You know, just sure. win win
1: one more game, you know. Yeah. Uh so who do you have for the uh so you have the white sox winning the AL pennant?
0: Yeah, uh okay. So I, I'm going back and forth on it. I think yeah, I think it's gonna be Rays, White Sox, and the ALCS. Um, and I think there's a chance that, that the White Sox can pull it out in six or seven games. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and say rays in six, though, in that series, uh, and uh and push that ahead to the, the world series and, and repeat as AL champions. And then in the National League, um, don't like the Braves for this. I, I don't like the Cardinals making a deep run, but I, you know obviously Cardinal Devil Magic, it could happen. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, last year we had the two best teams uh, in the World Series. I think that there's a chance that happens again. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that we get Giants, continue their magic into the postseason, win the National League pennant, against the Rays in the World Series. Uh, and I think the Rays win the World Series in five games. I'm completely going off the cuff here. I have not thought about these predictions very much. I'm coming up with this on the spot. I'm going to say Rays over Giants in five games.
1: Okay. I like that. I think that 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 definitely is a chance. Um, I think the Rays are definitely going to the championship series, uh, no matter what. I think the White Sox are going to have the edge over the Astros. Um, I think that, you know what, like, I really can't predict like what's going to happen. Like I've never, ever been right about postseason stuff, like ever, even in 2015, when I was like, "Mm, maybe the Mets will beat the Dodgers. Like I did not think that they were going to beat the Cubs. Like I've, I've always been wrong about it. Um, so I'm just going to strap in this time. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong again. If I'm right, I'm right about the coolest outcome ever. I think we're going to get Brewers Dodgers NLCS. I think the Dodgers are going to beat the, the the Giants. I think that that experience thing is going to play a big role. Um, but I think the Brewers are going to beat the Dodgers, and I think we're going to get a Brewers White Sox World Series. See, that's what I want. But and I think the White Sox are going to win it in six. That's my that's my. I think that I and there's that no result. basis in reality for this. But I think that as as much as Cardinal Magic is a thing, Cardinal Devil Magic is a thing. Tony La Russa had to pull some extremely evil manipulative strings to even have this job. If you don't think he's going to win this world series, if you don't think it's lined up so that he wins the world series, I don't know what to tell you. See, this okay. is Absolutely how it's going to end. We're going to get a whole, I'll take that. like, I'll redemption take that in, for Tony in, the La Russa. Dis-
0: in the discourse around La Russa, you know, being an old school manager and winning the world series is going to be uh, awful. Your mean
1: Mercedes will not get a ring. They won't give him one. Uh, I
0: I would take that outcome because I like this White Sox team outside of their manager. I really like the group of guys they have together. And I I could see the Brewers making a run because we see it like every year. It's about pitching in the playoffs. And they have Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta at the top of that rotation. Like they can make this happen. The offense is not as potent as some of the other teams. They're going to really lean on – like Willie Adamas and Eduardo Escobar uh, and maybe Christian Yelich makes an appearance after two years of being a bad baseball player. Yeah, uh, who knows? That would be but cool. That would, be cool. Uh, that would certainly help propel them to a, you know, an NL pennant or whatever, but um, I can see that result. I, I would, I would take that result. I just think that, um, I think it's going to be raised Dodgers or raised giants again. I really do.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and it's kind of scares me, but um, I think that's what we're working with. I think that, you know, in, in this playoff format, you do sometimes get situations where the best teams just win, and it happened last year. It happened with the Rays and and the Dodgers, and I think those are you know uh, uh, the one hundred and the hundred win Rays and the hundred and six win Giants or Dodgers and the hundred and seven win Giants. I think that's those are the three teams we're looking with looking at for World Series matchups. But I hope you're right. I'd rather your matchup than my matchup, to be honest. Even though the Rays are still pretty fun
1: yeah i just i think that there's just there's a component to the race succeeding that calls for like never ever developing a player and having him stay there for more than like three four years like that whole pattern of like just uprooting the the, the system every year is like i think it's a little bit exhausting it from, is you know,
0: exhausting i mean getting really... and like
1: how many fans are going to enjoy the race winning the world series like how many fans do they have like a thousand yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah you're right i mean the them kind of playing with uh contracts and getting rid of any player that's like an ARP to uh, even if they're really good, like Blake Snell would probably hate watching the Rays win the world series.
1: Um, bring it to the South side.
0: Bring it to the South side. Give Chicago another championship. Why not? They're a good city. Um, and then bring it to the Queens next year. Uh, let's take a break here. Let's do our little ad read. And then we will uh, recap the Mets season in terms of assessing our predictions at the beginning of the year and uh, checking out, our postseason superlatives that we, uh, that we have. And then we'll remember some guys and and get out of here. We'll take a quick break and we're back. Okay. So the Mets 77 and 85, their fourth losing record in the last five seasons. And even going back to 2009, they've still only had two, maybe three, is it three winning seasons, Three.
1: three winning seasons, 15, 16 and 19. Yeah. Right.
0: So not ideal. And a very disappointing finish. They were awful in the second half. We know that. It ended with losing 2-3 or three in Atlanta. They were shut out on the last day of the season by the Braves, had just three hits, kind of uh, kind of apropos for the entire season in general. Noah Syndergaard started the game, didn't look great, gave up two runs on three hits, including a homer. Robert Gazellman was back through a scoreless inning. Conforto, in his last, probably his last game as a Met, went one for three. Emotional week for him, brought to tears in his last home game uh earlier this week um we will talk more about the conforto free agency when uh the offseason rolls around because there's obviously already a lot of discourse revolving around that uh and frankly whether he gets a qualifying offer or takes the qualifying offer or not that's just too exhausting for us to deal with today um our predictions at the beginning of the year we went and made a lot of them and we will roll through them now and see where we were right where we were wrong so Jack, the first prediction here is about player value. We were talking about, we both knew, we both figured that Jacob deGrom was going to be the highest rated Mets player in terms of wins above replacement. We were correct. And so that the exercise uh, wound up being um, trying to predict the three Mets who would finish behind him uh, in highest wins above replacement. You and I both said deGrom would finish first. He did. Uh, And then I said Lindor, would finish two Nemo would finish three and Jeff McNeil would finish fourth you said Lindor as well behind DeGrom Nemo
1: and Pete Alonso and Jack how did we do um well the results were actually not that bad we we got the well at least I we both got the top three or no we didn't we got okay this is, let me just read this through. So DeGrom was number one, like, as you said, the second highest finisher was Pete Alonso. So I get like, I guess a half point for that for having him in my ranking. Um, I mean, we're not keeping a point system. Brandon Nimmo finished third. We both had that. And then we both had Lindor within our top four, but we did have him as second. He finished fourth among uh, all players. So that's the top four. So you had I, you had the correct four, just in the wrong order. Yeah. I had
0: three of the four. Jeff McNeil did not have, obviously, had a bad year. So yeah. uh, he did not right. finish in, in that top three. Next category, most runs batted in. This is where we kind of start getting like, Jesus, he said that? Uh, mm-hmm. We both said Pete Alonzo for most RBIs, and we were both right. Um, however, uh, I had a big uh-oh here because I said it could be Pete Alonzo or it could be Dominic Smith. And I accompanied that by saying Dom Smith could hit, you know, 65 to 70 extra base hits this year because he led the national league in extra base hits last year in the short season, 2020. So why not do it again? Yeah. Uh, why not get up there with 65, 70 extra base hits at hit 30 homers at 35 doubles. See, there you go. Uh, Dom Smith had 31 extra base hits this year.
1: He we just 31. Missed. Just missed.
0: I missed. I I, that one I'll wear that one. That's I got some egg on my face there. So that's your first kind of oh he was way off kind of moment here with uh with predictions but we both got alonzo right um in terms of the highest uh number pete led the team by 28 runs batted in uh had 28 more than francisco lindor who had 63 uh next
1: was ops um and you said francisco lindor which was wrong that was that was one of those ones that like when i listened to the episode the next day i was like man like that really doesn't make sense that you would say Francisco Lindor like like I think my defense was that like Lindor would get on base more which wasn't even like that didn't even come to be like you know base had, fine well he had like a 320 something but Pete Alonso had it's something in the mid 340s which is generally what he's always been even la- even in 2020 when he was terrible like Alonso was probably going to have the highest OPS you got that correct I did not. I said Lindor would. Lindor finished fourth on the team. Um, The only other person who really finished within the ballpark of Alonzo was Brandon Nimmo at 838. And then Jonathan VR was third, which we all, uh, you know, all saw that coming. That was on everybody's single card. Um, Yeah. Uh, That was – I I, I
0: went with Pete because I figured, you know, Pete gets on base a decent amount, and he's going to hit the most homers on the team, which he did. Yeah, those Uh, were both. Yeah. I mean, you hit 37 homers, it's it's tough to not lead the team in OPS, uh, unless you're Eugenio Suarez, who had like one of the worst offensive seasons by anyone who hit 30 homers ever. Uh, Yeah, good for him. Moving on to the pitching side, earned run average uh, in the non-DeGrom category. Obviously, well, DeGrom, well, we figured we were correct in assuming that he would finish with a ridiculously lower in run average. Uh, You got this one right. I got this one wrong. I said Noah Syndergaard. Um, who finished with uh, two innings pitched this year so he doesn't count um but it was marcus stroman who finished with a 3.02 earned run average which is 13th in baseball by the way uh and, and you you guessed you guessed stroman so good for marcus however you want to yeah. you want to share where you went wrong on this one
1: yeah i was like so basically i said stroman would have the lowest uh era and then my next pick and i to be fair i think this was the the fallback for a lot of people because Taiwan Walker, I don't think we anticipated having the first half that he ended up having. Um, But I said that Carlos Carrasco would be a possible alternative to have that lowest DRA. He had the highest DRA among the qualified pitchers. He finished with a 6.04. Obviously there were just a lot of growing pains, uh, you know, coming back when he did not really having a spring training the way he did. Like, there's a lot that can change next year, but yeah, this was, was a very bad year for him.
0: I mean, what's the ERA out of the first inning? Uh, like 16.
1: Although I first... guess it's lower because he finally had a scoreless one in his last start.
0: He had like two scoreless first innings of, of his like 12 starts or however many starts he had. Yeah,
1: like it, it's, I mean. Ludicrous. Yeah, it was not good. Don't ever make him a, a relief pitcher. No. Is uh-huh. my Yeah.
0: How, just give him a normal spring training and see where he's at. Okay. Innings pitched, also non Uh, We all both got this in right. Uh, I predicted Marcus Stroman would hit 180. He had 179 innings on the dot. Um, so I was just off on that one, but we both said Stroman, and it was Stroman who led the team and earned run average. We uh, predicted who would be the closer at the end of the year um we said Diaz that he'd be fine this year he was more or less fine this year there were some bad moments there were some good moments and it was Edwin Diaz he was still closing games at the end of the year Uh, and then we said who had the most holds Uh, we both said Trevor May and uh, we were wrong we were off by one Trevor May had 16 holds this season Aaron Loop had 17 um by the way you're going to notice a trend here I think with some of these that Aaron Loop kind of threw a wrinkle Uh, into uh, our predictions for some of these upcoming categories. Uh, You also said maybe Castro, but he only had nine, even though he led the Mets in, uh, in games pitched. Um, Prospects that we were most likely to see. I said, Riley Gilliam. I thought he'd be up at some point. Turned out he had just an atrocious year. Like he forgot how to pitch.
1: He Uh, may not pitch in the majors.
0: He may not make it, uh, which is unfortunate because I mean, these college closer types, he's an ACC closer with Clemson. So um, you, you figure that, that that's a guy you can fast track to the majors, but he just had an awful year. He didn't even really pitch all that much in AAA, let alone in the majors. Um, I also said honorable, honorable mention to Khalil Lee, who we did see for a little bit. Uh, don't know why we didn't see more of him at the end of the season. Uh, you said Thomas a pucky. You want to, you want to yeah. wear that one for a second
1: yeah I'll wear that I mean you know it was it was one of those things where you look at the 40 man roster and you don't see Tyler McGill who ultimately was the prospect that we got the most of Uh, you see I mean he was really like it was basically like when you had the rotation you had David Peterson like in the five and then your depth guys were Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto but the only other guy in the 40 who could even start was Thomas Sipaki so I was like well they're probably not purchasing someone's contract. They're going to give him a, a go. And they gave him one appearance and he got his skull bashed in by the Braves. Not literally, thank God, but it was a More really less. bad game. Is, well, that was the 20 run game. Yeah, that was the Albert Almora pitching game. I think Sean Reed Foley also hurt himself that day. So that was a not good for the run differential. Um, but yeah, I'll wear that one. Best yeah. non-Lindor acquisition of the year. I mean, Lindor probably didn't even turn out to be the best acquisition of the season, right? Hey, it was probably Aaron Loop.
0: Yeah, it was probably a Loop, but, like, I mean, Lindor still had a three-win season. He's still probably going to yeah. get a gold glove in the National League, yeah. sure.
1: Lindor was good. Lindor was good, and he His second, especially really, the second, really well.
0: Especially after that first month and a half, he was totally fine.
1: Uh, okay, uh, I uh, said but, Luke yeah. Casey. You, you said James McCann, my friend. I I said, James McCann, Uh, I listened back to the tape and I said that I remember saying that I wasn't as sure about his offense, which I guess is some sort of, uh, you know, vindication for me. I said that having him behind the plate on defense would, would be a night and day improvement. And I still kind of think that it was a significant upgrade over Ramos in that respect. I also don't think it was nearly what like we thought it was going to be. Like we all assumed because it was a catcher with moderately good framing numbers that it was going to be like Darno coming back, and that also was not the case. So he was mid, uh, yeah, yeah. And he also didn't hit at all.
0: Uh, yeah, really did say, not hit. I said Lucchese, and I mean, in a sense, Lucchese was one of the more important acquisitions they made this offseason. He was good before he got hurt, and he also brought us the chur uh, hand signal thing, which. uh, I think brought the team together and helped propel them to a hot streak in the middle of the season. Uh, when he was also out. Italian, which was really important. Really? Yeah. We got a lot of like those pizza memes that you threw out on Twitter. Those were funny. Uh, most <laughs> likely DFA or most likely player to not, you know, survive the season on the roster. I said, Jonathan VR, which was very wrong because he had a, a, a decent year. Um, but I said, honorable mention, Batansis are familiar. We were, we were right more or less on Batansis. Uh, you, you acknowledged. you said Batansis, you acknowledged that it could be VR. Also, we both were wrong about which ER was going to be the, the guy who sucked the most. Yeah. Uh, it should have probably been Kevin Pillar, uh, because he was awful. If he didn't get hit in the face by a baseball, this might, we might be talking about him as the answer here. Like he probably should have been the, you know, Chris Young, like mid-season cut outfielder guy that they bring in every few years.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully you never have to go through that again. They really need to just stop recycling, like light hitting outfielder who may or may not be a good fielder thing. Like just cut it out. And to to Kevin's credit, he deserves very little credit uh, this year. (laughs) And in general,
0: uh, he had some good moments. Like he had some clutch hits. But sure. Outside of those clutch hits, he really did nothing. Um, not as much nothing as Albert Almora, but uh, who also got DFA'd uh, right at the end of the season. Um, also, clear waivers. He, he did clear waivers, so we keep him. Uh, we Jacob, him. Jacob Barnes also was a, a potential answer here, uh, yeah. who who pitched just way too much for the first half of the season and then got cut. Uh, breakout season, there kind of wasn't a breakout player on this team like a true breakout i mean there was aaron loop uh, who's a veteran reliever and had obviously the sixth best season of a reliever with 65 games appeared in our more era wise with a 0.95 so props to him that could be your breakout candidate we both said miguel castro because there wasn't a clear breakout candidate on this roster because a lot of the players on this roster that were like youngish guys had already broken out like dom smith had his breakout last year yeah uh like there wasn't really a classic breakout candidate on this roster. We both thought Miguel Castro would have a good year and he's uh, relatively young and he showed signs last year of being disgusting. And he showed signs this year of being disgusting, but it turns out he's probably just kind of a middle of the middle of the pack, uh, you know, mid-tier reliever. And
1: that's kind of what he is. Uh, so and that's we don't... fine if they, if they treat him that way, I think, but yeah, yeah probably not a high leverage guy. Another possible option here could have been JD Davis if he hadn't gotten hurt, but I also can't say for sure he would have continued to bat, like, 300.
0: You know? Yeah, maybe, like, I mean, yeah.
1: Irritating. There just wasn't a guy here. Uh,
0: there wasn't really a breakout guy. There wasn't, I mean, there's no one heading into the offseason we're, like, really excited about, um, that we weren't excited about preseason, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, at least, like, at least if this was, like, uh, like, when the Mets were, like, legitimately bad and we expected a bad team, like, oh, Lucas Duda hit 30 homers, that's fun. He's, like, our starting first baseman
1: now. But there's, like, yeah. really nothing... There, it's a different play. trajectory from that from that from those yes. years i think which is um, but yeah let's jump into superlatives like yeah. rapid fire best moment of the season what's the uh, best moment of the season
0: i have a feeling you and i are going to differ here uh night but i think i know what the two are yeah there's there's really two choices I, and i've got i've got lindor three homer game yeah
1: i've got the bias play at the plate i knew but, you would pick that one yeah I like that one a little bit more because that was the first one. And that was like, that came out of deeper ashes. Um, and also like, it was, I think a little bit more. Uh, like revealing as far as like what you could do with this team. Like you realize that Javi Baez actually really did have some unique value to this team. Um, whereas Lindor, it's more like you already kind of like knew he was that kind of dude and that it could that, and cause he would be here for like 10 years. It's like, that's just what we're getting, but with bias, yeah, but we like, oh, had shit, we like we
0: hadn't gotten that and then we got it true. and that's it was fair. awesome. It was yeah. against the Yankees. It was yeah. awesome. All right. That's my, that's my moment. Worst moment of the season. Oh man. I, there were so many rock bottom points, especially in the second half. Like I don't even know. I don't even know what to pick.
1: The I'll West just, coast
0: series, probably the West coast swing.
1: I think that was bad. Um, I also think that for me, Just like, and this is not at all because at first I would say this is the moment the season ended, but ultimately this was not a season that was defined by moments in that respect. But I think the angriest I ever was during this season, the most powerless I felt as a fan to the team doing the right thing and playing good baseball was the Jared Ikoff game. July 28th, when they pitched Ikoff because they didn't have anybody else who could pitch because nobody had the common sense to make a trade for somebody, anybody, literally anybody against a division rival in a series five games, you could have turned five game lead into 10 game lead potentially. And you were throwing Jared, I and you got the exact results that you got. Like that was just so embarrassing and insulting, I think, but also that's not the, that's not the moment the season ended.
0: That's so. up there. That was infuriating. Also, another moment that could contend, and this isn't like an, a, a concrete moment, really. Right. Whatever moment it was for you when you realized Jacob DeGrom wasn't pitching again this year. Sure. Yeah. That's up there, too, because it's like, oh, we're screwed. All
1: right. Probably uh, right after the deadline. And they were like, Yeah, he's not going to be back that quickly. It was like, oh, my it's God. It's like, oh,
0: he'll be back mid-September, maybe, possibly. Yeah. He's, uh, he's not yeah. going to be back. Um, biggest surprise? I think, for me... And, and it, it, first, I mean, loop certainly, but yeah, uh, I think the biggest surprise for me on this team was how impressed I was by Javier Baez after they traded for him.
1: Yeah, that honestly, I mean, he definitely shut me up because for a oh, long time we were like, we were like, we don't like him. He's not going to be good. This is who he is. He's a free swinger who never walks, and you know, he he he's Lindor's friend, and that's the only thing he's got going for him. He'll play fun he,
0: defense and he'll hit homers and make yeah. cool slides. But he did more than that. He was legitimately a force on this offense yeah. for, for the last couple months of the season.
1: I So I won't say bias because you said bias. I'm going to submit, and I know he had a really bad second half, but I'm going to submit Taiwan Walker because ultimately the work that he did in the first half when every other pitcher was first going down was – in it's 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 you almost can't put a price tag you can't put a value on it's invaluable what he did i really do believe that uh the taiwan walker that we got was like unlike the at like completely far and away from the taiwan walker i was expecting i was expecting
0: yeah with the final line we got on taiwan season i think is more or less what i thought we'd get yeah but he also was great for the first half of the season was an all-star so yeah. Um, maybe you know he hasn't pitched the full season in in God knows how long before this season, but he stayed healthy pretty much the whole year. He had, I think, one tiny stint on the IL, and uh, like maybe maybe with a normal offseason regiment coming off of a full season's work, uh, he's more his body is more prepared for the full workload next year, and he can put together that body of work for an entire season. We'll see. Uh, we do have him for mo- one more year guaranteed, but probably two more years. Yeah. Um biggest disappointment uh it's it's hard to pick one it's really hard to pick one
1: yeah i don't want to blame any individual person for what's happened that's the problem but i get if i were to say if i were to point out one i guess player who if they had even done a little bit better we might be having a different conversation it would probably be dom smith I and I, I love, love Dom. Like, I love him. And I've been rooting for him all year. And I think it was really unfair how frequently they benched him. Um, he hit lefties well. He also just had a lot of at-bats where he really did not look at all like the guy from last year or two years ago. And that was something that I was really, really pulling for. Like, if you would have had him hitting the way that we were used to Conforto hitting, Alonzo hitting... Uh, had been expecting Lindor to hit, I think that would have made a huge difference. And the fact that it didn't happen was upsetting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could, you could pick Lindor because of the cold start that caused all the narratives. You could pick Michael Conforto and his walkier, uh, not having the season that we expected. You could pick JD Davis not being able to stay on the field. And when he was on the field, he was a little underwhelming, even though the final line looks fine for him. Uh, you could pick McNeil, who just kind of forgot how to be Jeff McNeil. Um, I I agree. I think it's Dom. I think Dom was one of the most productive hitters in the National League in in 2020. And whether you want to chalk that up to 2020 being fake, if you want to chalk it up to maybe the league figured out how to pitch him and really figured out how to pitch him, if you want to say that, uh, because he alluded to some minor injuries over the course of the season. Maybe he was kind of hurt, but not hurt enough to go on the I.L. and just wasn't healthy. And the nagging injuries affected his swing in some way. He just wasn't driving the baseball. and, And it's a shame. And we do root for Dom so much here. Like, we love Dom. He is, is such a good person, and everything we've heard about him off the field is, is on par with the kind of player that we've seen him uh, be in the past. So I, I think my answer is also Dom Smith because it's really, it's really disheartening to see such, such a good guy who we root for um, have such a bad year. Uh, last one. Um, are, we have two more, I guess. Uh, if you could change one thing about the season – um, what would it be if one way, one, one way the season went, if you could change it?
1: um, That's a good question. See, I don't really know if there was any one thing that the Mets could have done in the moment to guarantee that Jacob deGrom wasn't going to miss significant time. Like, I think that he actually just had this injury and if they had played their cards right, he still would have missed a lot of time anyway. And that still would have killed him so I don't really, I'm, I'm less inclined to go there. I think that honestly, and this isn't my way of saying that Chili Davis was good at his job, because clearly he wasn't, but I think once the Mets made the decision to throw away the game plan that they had with a hitting coach and fire him and replace him with someone who was pretty much unfamiliar with everyone that was currently on that roster, that was like, that was like you crossed the Rubicon, like it was done. You, you had decided, you know, we're not going back to this format at all. We're not banking on it, ever producing results. We're going to try this other thing that never, ever, ever worked. I mean, really for no moment did this Met offense for more than four days in a row look like a group of hitters that had a consistent and solid approach as a team. I think yeah. firing the hitting coach and doing it over social, like doing it the way that they did was also uh, a great injustice to the players. So that's the one thing that like, just going back, I would have done that differently. I would have fired him before the year started. I would have gotten a new hitting coach. That's what I would have done.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, I am going to pick the Grom. I, I would, regardless of like, I, I, even if I could guarantee that Jacob DeGrom having a full season, of health the way that he started this year even if the team finished with the exact same record i'd still do it because baseball was robbed when jacob yeah. grom didn't pitch in the second half they were robbed we were robbed of of an yeah. all-time season i mean does he finish with a 1.05 era probably not does he finish with a 1.6 or a 1.7 probably maybe yeah
1: i think it would have broken the record yeah he really would have
0: he he had as good a chance as any pitcher in our lifetime to break single season pitching marks and Man, he oh, it was like it was it was uh, appointment television. Every time he pitched in the first half,
1: yeah, it and was a just, nice thing every five days just to have that. Yeah, and it was so important for
0: the team to have him as a stopper. You could trust mm-hmm. him to go out there every day, every five days, and put up six scoreless or seven one run innings and strike out ten guys or twelve guys. Like it, it, it was so fun to watch him pitch. You watch him pitch and you're laughing along with. Like, how does he do this? And yeah man, I really, I just, I hope he's healthy. And next year, I don't even care if he takes a step back as long as he takes, if he takes a step back, he's still the top five pitcher in the league. Uh, Yeah. Because probably one of the
1: best pitchers in Mets history, either way. We
0: were, we were robbed of him in his age 33 season. We were robbed of Jacob deGrom being uh, as good as he was for the first half for the entire season. Yeah. Uh, Last one. Favorite moment. I think let's use this as our remembering
1: guys. I'm glad that we're thinking on that wavelength. Cause that's how I yeah. thought of this. I have a guy.
0: I have a guy too. Favorite momentary met. You go first. Okay. Well, I had, I had picked out Robert stock uh, prior mm. to the season, because even though Robert stock only pitched in two games for the Mets, he made an impression on me before he hurt his hamstring. First of all, he's online. That's fun. He's on Twitter. He's tweeting, tweeting about his hamstring. That's cool. That's neat. I like when players do that. Uh, second of all, we got the fun stories about how he was basically Bryce Harper when he was 13 and mm-hmm. then turned into Robert Stock. Uh, like he was like a catcher. He was like a left-hand hitter and really, really good as a youth player, like basically on the same track as Harper. Yeah. And then his high school career just didn't go to the same place as Harper's and like he's still still wound up being a second-round draft pick in 2009 by the Cardinals. His career just hasn't gone uh, to, to the, you know, the way that it, it, he, he would have liked. And he um, only pitched five innings for the Mets this year and hurt himself uh, running out of ground ball, which is unfortunate. But he got to do something that very few players get to do, which is um, pitch on both sides of a matchup twice in a row. He yeah. pitched for the Cubs against the Mets, and then he pitched for the Mets against the Cubs, uh, which was neat. Um, okay. So I, I think Robert Stock is a, is a fun one. Also, he randomly came out throwing 98 as a Met, which was like, where did that yeah, go Yeah, he's
1: like 34, and he's still touching like 96, 97. He's like 31.
0: He's, don't shortchange the man. He's 31.
1: 31? Yeah. Okay. He's been he's been around for like 12 years, though. That's still a lot of mileage. Yeah. So, yeah. Sure. Drafted in 2009.
0: He's been in pro ball for for over a decade.
1: Yeah. Um, Damn. All right. So I got my guy. Uh, The only one that's really coming to my mind right now. uh, And I think it makes just the most sense anyway. um, My favorite momentary Met was uh, Akeem Bostic. Oh, boy. I I just, I enjoyed that uh, game that he pitched a lot. I think I talked about this on the pod. I've definitely talked about this, like when we had hack on, um, like, cause he's, he, he's played with Bostic, I think, but they basically selected his contract because they needed a twenty sixth guy. And he was the only one they could have had, or it was 27th. Cause it was a doubleheader against the Braves. And I remember his first game and I'm going to make this quick. He was in the bullpen warming up because the Mets were down by like and it was the sixth it was like the top of the sixth inning um and then in the bottom of the sixth inning they start fixing to come back a little bit I think that's what happened yeah they were like fixing to come back and then they sat him and started warming up uh Edwin Diaz I think it was Diaz it was either Diaz or May but Bostic like pretty much would have been robbed of his debut if the Mets had pulled it off and because they did it because they did the same thing that they've done like all year with runners in scoring position, which is knock at the run in. They went with Bostic anyway. And a guy who had been in the minors forever had no intention of, of playing in the major leagues that day. Um, he almost lost his chance to debut, but he kept it. He got his one game, he got his one inning, and it was a scoreless inning. Uh, so he's a zero career ERA. Uh, Akeem Bostic, yeah, respect.
0: Akeem is like one of those dudes who you're, you look back on these rosters in 10
1: years and you're like,
0: I completely do not remember who that is.
1: There will not be a picture of him when you look him up. That It's yeah, one of those yeah. ones. Like, yeah. um, you had but, to be there.
0: I mean, it's, he seemed to really relish just getting the call up. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he knew that he was getting, you know, a few days in the majors and then getting cut off the 40 right away. So he, he seemed to enjoy it just despite what it was career-wise for him. Mm-hmm. um but i mean hey he had a major league salary for a day and he's in the record books as a major league pitcher so you know congrats to Akeem bostic for that you were uh, a
1: 2021 new york met
0: yeah both You're of on them the, you are on stock they're That's on the baseball the, reference despite, congratulations despite six innings pitch combined between the two of them um uh, in three appearances so uh yeah 2021 in the books, from a New York Mets perspective, lots of playoff action, AL wildcard Tuesday, NL wildcard Wednesday, ALDS starts on Thursday. And then I think, is Saturday the day that we get four games? Friday or Saturday?
1: I think it's usually the Saturday that we get all four games.
0: I, I will check. That uh, day, though, the four-day uh, ALDS, or uh, the, the four-day division series ga- day, is one of my favorites of the year simply put. Um, and I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, so we will we see get four
1: games on Friday. It's Friday.
0: Oh, let's go. Okay. That's, good. that's huge. Yeah. I'm so, gonna, gonna um, that. that'll be a lot of fun. Playoffs yeah. get underway this week and we will, uh, we'll talk about it with you guys next weekend. So for Jack Hendon and, uh, yeah, that's it for Jack Hendon. It's just you and me today. Uh, yeah. That wraps up episode 56 of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. I've been Sam Lebowitz and Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening.